Well, good morning and uh, welcome to our online gathering. Thanks for joining us. Um, it's great to have you here on a snowy morning. Um, maybe your kids have already enjoyed being out and about building snowmen outside. Um, but it's great to have you in and to be joining us here um, at home. And we pray that God will bless you as we, as you, as we meet together like this. <clears throat> We'd love to be together, wouldn't we? But we are uh, doing it this way for now as we keep each other safe and as we follow the guidelines. Just a few announcements uh, this morning before we uh, turn to God's word as we begin to worship. Let me just give you a few announcements what's coming on this week. Uh, Wednesday night, we have our Zoom prayer meeting as normal, eight o'clock. And this week we have Charlie, Charlie Anderson is going to be sharing a short devotion with us and then we'll be praying together. So I encourage you to come online. We'll send the link out, make it available to you. And that's eight o'clock on Wednesday night. Next Sunday, uh, John Burney, Pastor John Burney's preaching in the morning and then I'll be speaking in the evening. So join us next week, 11.30 in the morning, 6.30 in the evening. And then this evening, I'll be here again at 6.30 as we continue our studies today. So that's 6.30 tonight. So join us online again then. Just one uh, other uh, announcement I want to make here, just to make people aware. Uh, we have in the past, and this year we are going to continue to support the Baptist Union Zimbabwe Orphan uh, Care Program, which is part of our association's program, which helps those who are in need, both at home here and afar. And so uh, some of you have given to that already, and we did talk about it in the beginning of the new year. But we want to emphasize this again and encourage you to, if you feel you can, to give what you can to that, uh, that appeal. And you can do that by sending a one-off bank transfer to uh, the church, and we will forward that on. Just make your payment clear. Um, maybe put something like Zim OC, and that would make it very clear about what it is and where it's going. Uh, or drop an envelope, up, uh, an envelope with your uh, gift uh, which is marked clearly, hopefully, to Philip Haddon, our treasurer, who lives directly behind the church here uh, in the house on top of the hill. So that's the Baptist Union Zimbabwe Orphan Care Programme, and we'd encourage you to give to that as we love and care for those local and far away. And so that's the announcements for this morning. Um, I want to start by, by reading Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. So please um, go there if you can. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Hopefully you have your Bibles close or nearby or on your phone or somewhere uh, close by. And I want you to turn to Hebrews 4 as we read these amazing and wonderful verses of Scripture, which are an amazing encouragement uh, to all of us as we come in to worship our great high priest. So let's read these, these verses. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's listen to our first hymn together, sing along with it. This is actually a new hymn that we uh, discovered last year from Sovereign Grace. They wrote it during the pandemic and uh, they wrote it during the lockdown season and it's called Christ Will Be My Highway. I know some of you know it and are pleased we're going to be playing it this morning, but please listen to the words, sing along and, and enjoy this first hymn.
Well, let's pray together <clears throat> um, as we come and continue in worship and come to our Father in prayer. So let's pray uh, together. Let's try and find some quietness in the house if we can, uh, wherever you're at. Um, let's close our eyes. Let's come to your loving Father in prayer. Creator God, we, we worship you because you are worthy of our praise. Uh, Father, we thank you that you are our hideaway, that we can trust in you every step of the way, that you are majestic and you are holy in all of your ways. You are perfect. You know all things. You know every circumstance. You are in all things and you are sovereign over all things too. And so we thank you for your constant love and your constant presence with us day by day. Thank you for the, the reassurance that we have had your presence even over the last number of days and weeks and months and years. And today, in the beginning of this week, we do come in and we give you thanks that as we meet like this, even though we're distant and far apart, <clears throat> that we know that you're with us by your Holy Spirit wherever we are at. But Lord, we do realize this morning as we come in, we do know that day by day as we see your Son and as we come to know Jesus better every day, as we read of him from the pages of Scripture, we are more and more aware of our own sinfulness and wrongdoing, our own unrighteousness. And yet we are in awe that you have made a way, you have made a way in which we can know you, we can know sins forgiven, uh, that we can have a hope beyond this world and this life, all because of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, all because that he came and he willingly went and was sacrificed on that cross, that we may have a relationship with you, our Father, and we may know our sins forgiven. May you challenge each heart today with that reality and those truths. Those of us who know you, may we confess our sin in, in these moments even, that we may come in and worship you wherever we're at, with pure hearts and pure minds. Lord, you would challenge those who do not know you in their hearts and minds about just what Christ has done for them. He has given their life for theirs. And so we thank you for all that you have done <clears throat> and for all that you continue to do. The mercy that you show us every day. The new mercies that we're enjoying even in this day already. And your faithfulness and love which you lavish upon us. And so... This morning we, we do ask, as we come to you, that our hearts will be full of praise and adoration for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That we may marvel at your plan for the church as we consider what it is to be elders and what elders are and what they mean for the church. And may we be open and receptive and may you teach us and mould us and shape us, we pray. That we may do all and be all to which you have called us. So be with those, we pray today, in our fellowship and the ones that we love and the people that we know who are sick. We pray you be with them, those who are unwell today, those who are struggling. Lord, we pray that you be with those who are mourning also, mourning the loss of a loved one even in the recent weeks, those who are shut in and maybe experiencing loneliness. Help us all to, we pray, lift our eyes above the circumstance that we find ourselves in. Lord, we're all struggling in some way, in some measure. But yet you call us to look up. And this morning we do that. That we would look up and realize that our hope isn't in this earth. It isn't in even a, a vaccine, as good as that is, but it is in you. And so we pray that you would continually help us to be reminded that our hope is not set here on this earth, but it's set in Christ. Lord, bless our time together. <clears throat> bless, our, bless the word that you have given to us. Pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds, that you would strengthen your church. We pray that it would challenge us to think about your plan for the church and its leadership. And may we always desire, each one of us, to do your will, your way, in our lives and in your church. So bless us and teach us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, boys and girls, hopefully you're in the, in the house, not outside, playing with the snow at this present time, or you can do that after the service, of course, um, and I'll be doing that too. Uh, but the KBC Kids Talk, we're going to do that now, just a, a few minutes, three or four minutes, sit around the TV or the phone or whatever you're watching and uh, listen to this story. God's story, Moses. So part of God's story is about a guy named Moses, and it begins like this. When Moses was born, God's special family, the Israelites, were living in Egypt as slaves. But there were so many Israelites that Pharaoh, Egypt's ruler, was afraid they might attack him. So he ordered that they work extra hard and made a law that all new baby boys had to be killed. Well, baby Moses' mom didn't want him to die, so she came up with a plan. She put him in a waterproof basket and hid it in the Nile River. Before long, Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, showed up. She found the basket and realized Moses was one of the babies her dad was trying to kill. But instead of hurting Moses, she adopted him. He grew up in the palace like a prince. Now Moses should have felt really special and loved, but he felt bad that his people were slaves while he lived in the palace. So he ran away and tried to help them. Problem is, they didn't want a prince around. Moses didn't feel like he belonged anywhere, so he ran away again. This time, he went to a place called Midian. There, he married a lady named Zipporah and worked for her dad, Jethro. One day, he was taking care of Jethro's sheep when he saw a bush on fire. As Moses looked more closely, the inside of the bush called out, Moses, Moses. Kids, would you answer a burning bush that yells your name? Well, Moses did. He said, here I am. Then the bush introduced itself. It was God appearing as fire. And God told Moses that he could see how his family was suffering as slaves. Since God loves his family, he wanted to rescue them through Moses. Now you'd think Moses would be excited since he had wanted to help his people, but he wasn't. He didn't think he was special enough to get a job from God. He said, why me? God reminded him, I'll be with you. He even told Moses exactly what to say to the Egyptians. But Moses didn't think anyone would believe that God had appeared to a regular guy like him, a guy who didn't even belong anywhere. So God gave Moses three miracles to prove that God was with him. First, God let Moses turn his staff into a snake and back. Next, Moses put his hand in his cloak. It came out with leprosy. Then he did it again to cure it. Finally, God showed Moses how to turn water into blood. But even after God showed him all this, Moses was still afraid that nobody would listen to him. I don't talk well, he said. I stutter and stammer. Then God asked Moses, who makes a man able to talk? God is the one who makes us. And he wanted Moses to remember that and trust him. But Moses begged, please send anybody else. Fortunately, God loves us even when we're afraid to trust him and we don't realize how special we are to him. He let Moses bring his brother Aaron along to do the talking. After that, Moses finally realized he belonged in God's family. He didn't have to run away anymore, so he obeyed God and followed him. He took his wife and sons to Egypt to tell the Israelites that God was going to rescue them. The Israelites believed that God was with Moses, and they were so excited to be rescued that they worshiped God right away. And that's the story of Moses. So in case you missed it, here's the quick version. God's family lived in Egypt. They were slaves. Pharaoh said baby boys must die. Moses' mom had a plan. Moses was adopted. He ran away. Moses returned to his people. He ran away. God appeared as fire. Moses argued with God. Finally, Moses obeyed. He knew he belonged in God's family. And that's a part of God's story. Uh, we'll read together this morning as we turn to God's Word. So let's, let's do that. The, the two readings that we have this morning, first one is 1 Timothy 3, which is where we were a couple of weeks ago, but this time we're going to be reading the first seven verses. So 1 Timothy 3 and the first seven verses. And then in preparation, we're also going to read Titus 1, 5 to 9. So you can also uh, go there and keep a, a place for that. But we'll read this uh, passage first, 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. One Timothy three, one to seven. Let's read this together. 
The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's flock, God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with, recent, with, with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Okay, let's turn to Titus, just over a few pages. Titus 1, and then we'll read from verse 5 to 9. Titus 1, 5 to 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and, you, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband uh, of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firm uh, to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Let's pray and then we'll study this together. Father, by your Spirit, we pray that you would show us these things clearly as we take some time now to study them, to figure out what is being said here, what you desire in these men that we see here called elders. And we do pray that we all would be engaged in this, particularly as a church as we consider this, because we know that this is how you planned it to be. And so teach us and show us and help us, and may we be ready to receive all that is said. May we have this high view that you have of church leadership, and may we long to have this established in our church here. And so bless us and teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've a lot to get through in the next uh, while, so <clears throat> hopefully you've got your cup of tea or coffee and you're sitting ready, maybe the fire on, um, because we want to take some time, and it's going to take a little bit of time to get through this, but sure, there's not a whole lot else we should be doing or can do anyway, so let's do that together. And as a church, really, I want to say this is the first, first thing. As a church, we hold, we recognize to two church offices, two church offices, that of deacon and that of elder. And I said, didn't I, a few weeks ago, um, two weeks ago or so, uh, that we uh, have and hold to the office of deacon. And that what a deacon is, is someone who serves and supports the eldership and serves the church in all sorts of practical ways and essentially equips the church for effective ministry, effective gospel ministry. But today, as you have already realized if you're joining us, today we move on to the subject of elders, this second office. And the aim today is to follow the same outline, the same structure as we did a few weeks ago, asking what is uh, an elder? That's the first question we're gonna deal with in a moment. What uh, are the qualifications of an elder or what's needed uh, to be an elder? And then later this evening, because we've got so much to get through today, this evening we'll look at the questions that we did last time, which is, can women be elders? And can single uh, people, single men be elders? And what does an elder do? Which is where we're going to spend the most of our time tonight. What does an elder do? And that's where we're going today. So that gives you an idea of what's coming. But at the outset, <clears throat> at this point, what I want to say <clears throat> are these few things. Firstly, <clears throat> I realize that today, as we explore God's word together, as we dig and dive through the scriptures, 
that it speaks directly to the one who is preaching and to each individual elder in this church and maybe other elders who are listening in from other churches. And therefore, please know that as I preach, I preach to myself, I preach to my brothers, my fellow elders, and of course to those men, as I said, uh, who maybe will be listening and also to those men who maybe one day will be elders here in the Connie Baptist Church. Secondly, let me say this. Please know that, <clears throat> that I, that we, are humbled by the task that God has set before us as elders. But that we each, uh, each one of us, each and every day, confess our shortfallings in this area of being elders. And we strive to be the men that God has called us to be. We're not perfect. None of us are. None of us ever will be. But we long to be faithful to the office, to our office, and to serve the purposes of God together in our generation, to serve God, to serve the church as he is instructed. And then finally, let me say this. Please pray for us. We need your prayers. We need your support and your encouragement. Please be patient with us as you have been. And we love you and we want to lead like Christ here in this place. That's our desire. We want to lead like Christ. We are flawed. We're always learning. But we do not take this God-given position for granted. We take it seriously and we want you to continue to hold the office in your mind of elder in very high esteem. And that's one reason we are talking about what we're talking about today. We want our members to understand God's plan for the local church. And this includes, doesn't it, his plan for its leadership, of course. And this being the case, we pray that Nakani Baptist Church would always seek, whatever season, whatever generation, would always seek to appoint God's men to these God-given offices. Well, having said this, let me begin where we began a few weeks ago. And let me ask this question. What is an elder? That's the first question this morning. What is an elder? Well, firstly, let me say that the word elder is just one of three or four words that we can use interchangeably. So you could uh, use them however you want, wherever you want, to describe the office. We saw the term elder, didn't we, here? Uh, we saw it in Titus 1 and verse 5. We see these, this word elder, if you have your Bible open, hopefully in both 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. We see actually in, in 1 Timothy 3 the word overseer in verse 2. Therefore an overseer, so we have that word. And actually in Ephesians 4 and 11, you can go there if you want, but maybe take a note of it. You read that Christ gave shepherds to the church. And that's a term I really want you to hold on to. I think I hold on to that very uh, preciously, this idea of being shepherds of the church. Now think of each of these as words that describe the same office. They're not three or four different offices. They are just one office with different titles. But also think of them as helpfully describing the office, helpfully describing what it is. And maybe you wonder uh, at this point why I haven't used the word pastor here as well. What about pastor? How does that fit in here? We well, use that word, don't we? Well, the words shepherd or the word shepherd here in Ephesians 4 and 11 is actually fully interchangeable with the word pastor. So pastor shepherds. In the original Greek, those, those words are much the same. And so think of shepherds and pastors as pastors and shepherds. They're both the same thing. Um, yes, I have to say this, as a pastor, the pastor generally is employed and teaches most of the time, teaches regularly, but we all actually as elders sit under the title of shepherds and pastors. We essentially are all the same. No one has a distinguished role essentially except for myself who is able to be here full time under God's grace and blessing. But the qualities that we see acquaint to all men, pastors, shepherds, overseers, whatever it may be, all these uh, men are the same, one and the same thing. And therefore, the qualifications that we'll look at today are for all these men. Well, let's keep digging as we just continue to keep thinking about this question, what is an elder? And just for a moment, please turn with me to 1 Peter 5 
1 Peter 5, turn over and let's go there for a second. As we dig a little deeper and think a bit further about what an elder is, let's go there together. 1 Peter 5. <clears throat> 1 Peter 5. And then the first four verses. It says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I'll keep your Bible open there for a moment as we just take a few things out of this. Firstly, the verse uh, has a perfect blend, doesn't it, of the descriptions of the office that I've already said. Elders, shepherds, oversight. We see that here all blended into one. So that uh, reinforces uh, what I've just said. Secondly, uh, what we must also understand is that we are shepherds with a lowercase s. Verse 2, we're shepherds with a lowercase s. What does that mean? Well, you see... Christ is the chief shepherd. He is the chief shepherd, verse 4. He is the chief shepherd, which makes us under shepherds. That's a very helpful way to think about it. He is the chief shepherd. We are the under shepherds. We shepherd and serve God's people as those who are under this great shepherd. And that is very humbling, very humbling. And it is incredibly wonderful, isn't it, and mysterious how we would use how he would use men like us, how God would choose to use men like us, feeble and fallen men, to serve us in such a vital way in his church for his bride. But by God's grace and mercy, here we are. Here we stand. Here we serve. And that should never cease <clears throat> to amaze us. Should never cease to amaze you and anyone who would take on this great and mighty task of being an elder and under-shepherd. Well, thirdly, from this passage uh, in 1 Peter 5, we begin to see that we are not to be a few things. Did you see it when we read it? It tells us what we are not to be. And we're going to look at this more in a moment as we look at the qualifications back in 1 Timothy 3. But let me make four quick observations. The first thing, if we look at the page first thing an elder should realize is that the sheep, the members, and uh, the community of believers belongs to God. They belong to God. <clears throat> they don't belong to human leaders. They don't belong to us. As elders, we don't own the flock. God does. God owns the flock. God owns us, not just because he created us, but that he bought us at the highest price with the blood of his only son, the perfect lamb of God, Jesus. He bought us. We are a blood-bought people. And so we as elders, we don't own you. God owns us. He has bought us. Secondly, the elder's role is one of supervision, if you like. We are to take oversight. That's what we saw there. Or to look diligently after, if you like. That's another phrase. In other words, the role of an elder is very much to be the overseer, one who watches over the, the church, who tends to the needs of the congregation and oversees the affairs of the church. And our role, there, our role therefore, requires an, an awareness, uh, a knowledge of what's going on in the lives of our church and the lives of the people of our church and the flock. Or thirdly, it says here that the not under compulsion phrase that we saw means that nobody should take this role, this idea of taking on an eldership office. And we should not take it on to fulfill the expectations of someone else. Someone thinks we should, should take it on and we feel com compelled to do that. That is wrong. If it's a loved one who's pushing us into that, or even maybe the church family, we should be very cautious and we should be conscious about our calling into such an office. As much as we feel personally sometimes very unworthy of the office, 
of elder. God requires elders who want to serve. There's a difference between wanting to serve and having a desire to serve and being compelled to serve. There's a big difference. A person who's forced into spiritual leadership cannot truly serve as God intended. Well then finally, an elder must be eager to serve. He must be eager to serve. This is obviously the other side of the coin. Somewhere along the line, I think many churches have differentiated between pastor and elder. Somehow, somewhere, maybe unspoken and unwritten, there's a differentiation between pastor and elder. The paid ministry pros, if you like, from the unpaid trustees. And that's wrong and unhelpful. Let me say this, we need men who do more than sit in meetings, give their opinion and make decisions. We need shepherds who smell like sheep, men who love the sheep, men who set the example to the church, men who are on mission, have a mission mind. We are to be men who exemplify godly character. Let me say this before we move on. 1 Timothy 3 and 1 says that whoever desires the office of overseer desires a noble task. That's what we see there. If you have your Bible open, you can see it there. He desires a noble task. The bar is set high, and rightly so. Not every man should aspire to the office. And every man in the office should always be aspiring to meet the high bar. Well, let me say also that the Bible clearly teaches that the New Testament churches are to be led by elders and that churches in the 21st century also should be elder-led. If not, if we think it should be different to this, if we have experienced something different to this, we need to ask ourselves the question, are we going to allow the Scriptures to be the sole authority in the life of the church? That's a very serious question in many aspects, in many areas. Are we going to allow the Scriptures to be the sole authority in the life of the church? If that is the case, then we do desire and we do strive to have leadership in the sense of having elders and having deacons and having all that the New Testament shows us we should have. Let me move on to the next question. And it's this. What qualifications does an elder require What qualifications? Now, 1 Timothy 3, 2 and 7 uh, and Titus 1, 5 to 9, we read that, didn't we, just a few minutes ago. And this gives us very clear and wide and big and heavy um, outline of what an elder should be. And if we didn't already feel it, I think we feel and I feel even at this point in the sermon, that the task is massive. That to be an elder already, even from what we've looked at, at what an elder is, we already feel the weight of the responsibility. Well, it's only going to get greater. And during the week I sat down and I set out the qualifications from 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 in a table so that I would be able to compare the two accounts and also make sure I had all the qualifications clearly laid out. And I thought, you know what, I'd show you this screen on, on the, uh, at this table on the screen. Hopefully that will come up. Um, I'm working on trying to make that work. And so you can see it uh, this afternoon. And we can work through these one by one. And the table shows the qualifications uh, as well as where they're found and also any slight variations that we see. And if you're watching on your phone, maybe, or your tablet, maybe a good opportunity to screenshot and save the table for later for future reference, um, or maybe take a picture of your TV screen and or ask me to send it to you afterwards. Is that working now? Good man, thank you. Um, well, here it is on the on the side of the screen, and let's work through these together. Let's have our Bibles open in both of these passages, one Timothy three and Titus one, and let's let's flick together as I work through these. Uh, many qualifications, but let's do that together this morning. So the first one is this, above reproach, above 
reproach, or if you like, blameless, blameless. Now, this doesn't mean that we live an impeccable life. If that were the case, every church would need to fire every elder. Instead, it means that we are to be men who display and exemplify, as I've already said, degrees and the degree of Christ-likeness. Elders are to live in a way that gives no cause for others to think badly of the church or of the faith or of the Lord. They are to be men that no one suspects of wrongdoing or immorality. And if people were to find out that there was wrongdoing or immorality, people would be shocked. That's the sort of men that we are to be. That's the sort of men that are being called into this office. So above reproach. Secondly, husband of one wife. Or as I said a couple of weeks ago, as it is also a qualification for deacon, a one-woman man, a one-woman man. Well, like the deacons, there must be no other woman in his life, in our lives, to whom he relates in an intimate or emotional, like a deep emotional or physical way. And we are to be faithful husbands who honour the sacred covenant of marriage, and yes, I agree that no one has a fairy tale, friction-free marriage. But if your marriage is limping, or worse, or you've had a marriage failure in the past, you should think carefully, I think, and consult other wise elders and wise men, godly men and pastors, maybe, before seeking to take the office. You see, how we handle our bride impacts how we handle Christ's bride. And that's very serious. Number three, be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. Now, you can probably see on the screen, hopefully, that I have sort of grouped the next six qualifications together with this red line around it. And I think it's helpful to see these qualifications as a product, as as a result of someone who is self-controlled. That's why I've done that. So we know that self-control, don't we, is a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 23, and it is a mark of the Christian life, not just for elders, but for everyone. We could say that the Spirit-filled man is a self-controlled man. That could be how we say it. And interestingly here, actually, Paul lists a number of things that could manifest in a man who is lacking in self-control. Let's see them together. Number four, sober-mindedness. That is someone who is wise and sensible. If you're not self-controlled, you know, you could fall into this idea of not being sober-minded. And we need to be men who are wise and sensible. doesn't mean we don't need to be fun. I think we can be fun and we can have a laugh and, and be humorous. But we've got to be sensible and sober-minded. Number five, Disciplined, of course, someone who has control in every area of their life. Number six, not a drunkard, not a drunkard. Not to say that you cannot consume alcohol, but that someone who is free from the potential bondage of alcohol. That's, that's a whole different story. Someone who has the capacity and capability within themselves for self-denial in that he can abstain from drinking on demand. Number seven, not violent but gentle. Not violent but gentle. When a shepherd is, uh, let's use the word sort of combative if you like, or aggressive, the sheep get hurt. If a shepherd is aggressive or combative, then the sheep, inevitably, they get hurt. He's not to be a bully, but he's supposed, he's supposed to be gentle. He's not domineering. Didn't we read that? He doesn't domineer over the sheep. He isn't pushy or gruff or hot-headed or explosive. See, all of these things, actually, even if one of these things is at play, then it crushes 
the church members. Well, number eight, not quarrelsome or arrogant. He is peaceable, if you like. He's peaceable. He is lowly in his demeanor. He does not speak much of himself and his achievements. He counts others better than himself and is quick to serve. He sincerely gives God the credit and the honor for any accomplishments. And that's what we want. We want men who are not quarrelsome and not arrogant, who are humble servants and leaders. Number nine, not a lover of money. He's a kingdom first guy. That's what he is. His lifestyle does not reflect a love of luxury. He's a a generous giver. He's not anxious about his financial future. This is not to say he can't have money, but it's, it's how he deals with it, how he looks after it. And he is not so money orientated, I suppose, that ministry decisions revolve around that very issue. So he's not a lover of money. And so that covers briefly, and I know these are brief, but that covers briefly the section under the heading of self-control. However, the qualifications continue. The qualifications continue. Number 10, he's to be respectable. Respectable. He is honourable and dignified. He conducts himself in situations so that he doesn't step on toes unnecessarily. He's respectable. He's hospitable. Number 11, hospitable is actually more than opening your home to someone for a meal. Yes, that is hospitality. But we are to be men who reveal kindness and compassion and care for the needy, for the lost, for the lonely, for the vulnerable. We have to show care and love in those areas. It is sharing what we have already been given with those who don't have it. It is lending and sharing and purchasing and providing for whoever, whenever they're in need. Yes, of course, it means opening up our homes, pre and post COVID, obviously, and welcoming people into our lives. It means sitting with people one on one and family on family. And hospitality actually means, on many levels and fields, allowing people to come into our lives, to see our families in action. And it's not that we have flawless families, but that there is a warmth and a a welcoming atmosphere in our homes. There's a welcoming atmosphere there. I want to ask this question to all of us, but it's posed to myself and to other elders listening. If our homes were a church, would our dinner guests want to come back for another visit? Well, let's move on. Number 12, able to teach. An elder is able to teach. Now, tonight we will look at how the Bible, uh, how Bible teaching, sorry, is central to the elders' shepherding work. We'll do that tonight. So let me, don't, don't think I haven't covered this because we will cover it in detail tonight. However, an elder is a man who can clearly communicate doctrine, can, can clearly communicate God's word in a meaningful and deep way. And this doesn't necessarily mean that he can stand up in the pulpit like this and preach uh, to the masses. It could be in a smaller setting, like a small group, or at a communion table, or in discipleship classes or in a one-on-one discipleship situation. But an elder must be able to convey, to communicate God's word clearly in various areas, uh, much like the ones I've just said. Thirteen then, he must manage his household well. He manages his household well. In our society, don't we draw lines between public and private? Have you ever thought about this? We draw lines, don't we, between public and private, between work and home. We sort of evaluate, well, we like to, we like to evaluate a business leader on his ability or her ability to increase profits and meet goals and targets, but not on her or his personal life. We don't evaluate their personal life. If we're out in business, I'm sure you can think of your boss or your colleague We like to evaluate them in the sector, in the environment that we find them in, where we meet with them. But we don't ever draw or step over the line to evaluate their life and how they're doing at home. 
We say that their personal lives are none of our business. Maybe you've heard that. Now, this is not the case in the church, especially when it comes to church leadership. See, marriage and parenting act as a, a proving ground, if you like, as far as an elder's fitness for office. See, we've already said that he has to be a one-woman man, but he also must manage his home well. He must manage his finances well. The spiritual temperature is to be good in the family home, and there is to be a continual spiritual growth going on there too. His children are to be faithful, to believe the words and expectations of the gospel message of God's word. And they, his children, are to be obedient and not defiant to their parents and are not to be found in debauchery, which is excess, sex, alcohol and drugs. That is not to be where they are found. And so there is a, a qualification that requires our homes and our families to be managed well. Number 14, he is not to be a recent convert. Now this, I think, hopefully is obvious. He is to be a mature believer. There should be evidences in his life that humility, I think, is a fixed virtue and will not, whatever comes, be easily overturned. Because being proud and pride setting in in the role and in the office of elder is extremely destructive. Number 15, he is to be well thought of by outsiders. Well thought of by outsiders. We can figure this out by asking, does he generally have a good reputation with those outside of the church? That's a good question to ask of the elders. And maybe ask this question as well. And does he commend the gospel and build bridges to non-Christians in our community? Is he well thought of? Does he have a mission mind? Is he mission-minded? Does he build bridges? Does he share the gospel? Is he doing God's work, God's way in this time and in our community? Sixteenth uh, uh, on the list is a lover of good. He's a lover of good. He loves to be involved in anything that is good. He loves to be involved in doing good as well. He is more than merely doing good though, isn't he? He has a sort of a, a bent and love to see goodness done. That's his heart. That's how he, he works. That's how he's wired. He is an expansive person. He wants to to be involved in doing good. Number 17, he is upright. Now, let me just say this before we draw some conclusions in our mind already. Don't confuse Paul's use of upright here with the term righteous, which he actually uses 17 other times elsewhere. Upright and righteous here are different. This qualification of being upright talks of a man who cares about whether people are treated fairly. He cares about whether people are treated fairly. He wants to see justice, which of course we serve a God who is just. And so we want leaders in place who are upright, who want to see justice in the world at all levels. Well, then the last qualification is this. He's to be holy. Now, I think we could use the term here, righteous. The righteousness here is the character of this man. He is a person of deep devotion to Christ with a life of prayer and meditation. He loves the word. He loves the word and he worships and has a deep personal relationship with the Lord. So that is what is asked of in an elder. And it's quite a list of qualifications, right? The office of elder is a serious thing. God takes it seriously, and so should we. Now tonight we're going to continue to look at what an elder does, remembering that what we have seen today is simply what an elder is and what qualifications he needs. But of course there's a whole other aspect to this about what an elder should be doing.
what do elders do? However, before we finish, let me say something. Let me say a couple of things, actually. Firstly, the only person who ever accomplished these things, these qualifications perfectly, who had all the qualifications we desire and executed them without fault, was Jesus. The qualifications aren't made up by man. They're simply and wonderfully a reflection of our Saviour. There could be no higher calling. There could be no greater thing to aspire to. And we should always aspire to have men with such caliber, men, with who, men who exemplify Christ-like character as they take up the office of elder and teach and shepherd and lead Christ's church, his bride, into greater maturity and mission. But secondly and finally, let me say this. If you thought these qualifications were for elders only, then you're mistaken. You see, apart from the stipulation that elders are able to teach, the qualities and qualifications here are largely made up of what's expected of all mature Christians. Look at them again. Cast your eyes down the two passages. Yes, they are specific and they are uh, geared here towards and pointed towards what an elder should be. But we are also to be people who are above reproach. Husbands and wives of one spouse, we are to be self-controlled, sober-minded, disciplined, not drunkards, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome or arrogant, not lovers of money, respectable, hospitable, managing our households well, be well thought of by our neighbours and our communities. Lovers, we are to be lovers of good. We are to be upright. We must love justice and right. And we are, of course, to be holy, a holy people. And so for this is this is for us all. Yes, it's for elders as they take on greater responsibilities in the areas of teaching, which we'll look at tonight. But many of these qualifications point at the Christian, at the church. Can you imagine the church with every member aspiring to these qualifications, to these things, to be these sort of people in Christ, to have this sort of character? Can you imagine a church like that? Well, with the hope of the Holy Spirit, with Christ leading the way, with his inspired and living word in our heads, in our hearts, in our hands, with each other. I know that's difficult these days where we're not together and we miss that greatly. With deacons, with elders in place, we can strive step by step, day by day, together to be these people with God's help. Not for our own glory, not so we can all stand here at the end of the day and say, look how well we've done. Because if we're these people, if we are doing what God has called us to do, if we are being who God has called us to be, then we are doing the work he has called us to do. And inevitably we will be those who are loving each other, keeping the unity in the church, reaching out to the lost in our community. We're not so insular, but we're actually those who think way beyond these walls into the community around us with many hundreds and thousands of people who are lost and we are doing his work. We are making disciples. We are reaching all peoples with the gospel. Can you imagine a church like that? Can you imagine if we were to be those people that God has called us to be? As I said, not to pat each other on the back, but that if we were these people, if we would take up these things and activate them in our lives and apply them in our life that God would be glorified and that as we do that we would glorify God and we would be a people who are taking their place and playing their part 
in his mission on this earth, in our life. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would challenge us as elders of this church to be the men that you've called us to be, but that you would challenge each and every one of us to seriously consider these qualities and these characteristics that we have seen today, that we would all strive to be these people, that your Holy Spirit would convict us in areas where we are falling and failing, and that we would long to be those who would be described with the words that we've seen here in these passages. Lord, challenge us. Lord, move us on. May we be a people who are shining bright in this part of the world for your kingdom, for your glory, for the expansion of your kingdom, for reaching out to the lost with the word of God. And so move us and make us, we pray, into the people you desire us to be. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, I know there was a lot there this morning. We're going to continue this night at half six, and it would be lovely to have you here. But we're going to finish uh, today by listening to this last song, which I did play a few weeks ago, which is Facing a Task Unfinished. I feel like this is appropriate for us. So listen to the words, sing along, and we will see you later on. God bless, and have a good day.
Spirit who inspired, Savior whose love constrained them to toil with zeal untired. From cowardice defend us, from lethargy awake, forth on thine errand send us to labor for thy sake. Thank you.